This morning's reading is taken from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, do sit down. Uh, I'll pray in a second. Let me just give an apology as we begin. Uh, unfortunately, last week's sermon was not recorded. A number of people have asked me uh, if they could listen to it. Unfortunately, you can't. It wasn't recorded. We do aim to try and record each sermon and put it up by the evening so that those who are in the, in the kids' club can listen on a Sunday evening. Uh, if, if you like my notes and you like a kind of cryptic challenge trying to figure things out, uh, you'd be really welcome. Uh, just email me and I'll send them to you. But they are a little bit cryptic. Uh, anyway, with that said, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help this morning. Heavenly Father, we are like sheep prone to wander from your ways. And we thank you that you, like the great shepherd, call us back to yourself. And so, Father, please, through your word this morning, from, from this passage in Ephesians, please pastor us and shepherd us for our good, that we might walk in your ways. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We live in an age that is deeply distrustful of authority, don't we? In part, it's, it's because we've seen authority abused. We've seen those in authority be self-seeking, using their authority for their own good. But one of the results of that is that when we ourselves have authority, we're very nervous about using it. Leonard Sachs is a doctor, and he wrote an art article on this topic, and he gives this example of a mother and father who uh, came into his surgery with their six-year-old daughter. She had a, a cold and uh, sore throat, and he examined her ears, which were fine. Then he said to the girl, next, I'm going to look at your throat. But before Dr. Sachs could uh, stick his thing into her mouth, the mother jumped in. Darling, do you mind if the doctor looks into your throat just for a second, and then I'll buy you some ice cream? Sachs commented, the mother thought she was doing the right thing, being sensitive and caring, but her intervention derailed the visit. The little girl paused and then burst into tears, wailing, I don't want to. What should have been a two-second exam, he said, became an ordeal lasting several minutes, which ended with a nurse pinning the girl to a chair. Sachs went on to comment, in previous times, the doctor would have just done the exam. The child didn't get a choice. But here, he says, the mother changed my command into an negotiable request. The authority of the grown-ups was undermined. As the child comes to think, it's up to me whether I do as I'm told or not. And the result actually wasn't helpful for the child. Now, I don't want to dwell on that particular instance, but we can think of many ways, can't we, 
in which authority is either not used or we're nervous about using it. And as we come to the last but one section in Ephesians, Paul is addressing the question of authority in relationships. First, between parents and children, and then between masters and slaves. And whereas our world is deeply confused about authority, Paul is adamant that a godly use of authority, that right submission to it, is for our good. It's a mark, in fact, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this section today flows out of the command in 5.18 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's precisely because this is not natural to us that we need the Holy Spirit's help. But as he helps us, we find that it's pleasing to God and it's for our good. We're going to look at these pairs of relationships in turn. First, parents and children. And to children, Paul says, obey your parents for your good. And then to parents, he says, do not exasperate your children, but train them in Christ. And we'll we'll think about children first. Children, obey your parents for your good. Look at verse 1, where he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it's just worth asking, what is a child? Who is a child? Which sounds a little bit silly, except in one sense, all of us are children, aren't we? If we weren't born of a mother, we wouldn't be here. But children here means those who are not adults. And in different cultures, the answer to when someone becomes an adult is different. In some ways, in the West, it's a question slightly in flux, isn't it? But I take it that if somebody lives at home and is dependent upon their parents for their living, then in Paul's sense, they are a child. And that, this command is addressed directly to those people. Now, of course, the way this kind of obedience works out with a teenager is different than with a toddler. But this authority relationship remains. Indeed, even when we become adults, it's not as if we can just willfully disobey our parents. Look at verse 2. All of us, however old we are, are called to honour our parents. I'm going to take it that has implications for how we treat those who are elderly. But I'm conscious there are some here this morning who very clearly are, in Paul's sense, children. And Paul is addressing you directly. He wants you to obey and honour your parents. That is one of the ways that you serve Jesus. And it's just worth thinking, is that my attitude to my parents? Is it shown in the way I relate to them, in the way I talk to them? It's worth particularly thinking about our tone, I think. I'm struck a number of occasions, not, not just with church people, but listen to how some older kids talk to their parents. The tone can be very disrespectful. Well, if that's you this morning, just think if, if, a, if a film star or, or, or somebody from the world of movie, a film star or a sports hero came to talk to you this morning, how would you address them? You'd surely be respectful. How does that compare with how you routinely address your parents? Paul urges, honour and obey your parents. But of course, most of the people to whom this command is addressed are not here. And somebody might say, well, well, shouldn't we have kept the the Jam Club kids and the Jam Drops kids in today? And arguably, maybe we should, except I take it that this is the kind of thing they will hear during the course of their teaching in their clubs. But um, this is the one group in this little section where the people listening in, the other partner, is supposed to hear it. I said last week that I really hoped that no husbands went home and said to their wives over lunch, I really hope, darling you heard what James said to you. Because we were to hear the thing that Paul said to ourselves, not to the other person. 
But there is a sense, actually, with children here, Paul, is, uh, Paul wants the parents to listen in. Because, as we'll see in verse 4, parents are the ones who are to instruct children in obedience. We're to train them in uh, the Lord. And we need to know as parents that our children are to obey us. They are to honour us. And we need to train them in this. And that sounds, even as I say that, slightly authoritarian. But as we'll see, it's for their good and for the good of our families. See why children are to do this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is part of the way God has made the world. This is part of the created order. And elsewhere, Paul says that children being disobedient to their parents is a mark of the terrible times, a mark of the end times in which we live. But see that this obedience is in the Lord. I know someone who became a Christian in a church youth group, and um, their parents so hated the gospel that they said to their 14-year-old daughter, darling, we would rather that you slept around and did drugs than kept going back to that church. Well, by the grace of God, that girl was given the grace to disobey her parents. You see, in anything that is sinful, we are not to obey. But in all else, we are to obey our parents. And you see, this is part of a Holy Spirit-filled worship. It's a glorious thing. Not only is it right though, do you see it is for your good. Honour your father and mother, verse 2 says, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Paul of course is quoting the Ten Commandments and he says this commandment comes with a promise. It's for your good. It's good for you, for your family, for society when this is obeyed. Now I take it that uh, there'll be times when you need to obey your parents, but you don't want to. When you think, frankly, your parents are not right. Now, I don't think this verse is demanding unconsidered obedience, slavish kind of obedience. I think what he says to parents means actually there is a right way to say, actually, is this really what I need to do? But we need to do it in an honourable way. Going around thinking that our parents, the mum and dad, are basically clueless dinosaurs, is not honouring them. And if at the end of a discussion, it's right to have a discussion about certain things, uh, they make what they want to be done very clear, then even if you disagree, you are to obey. My father, slightly ironically, my father taught me that rules are for the guidance of wise men and the obedience of fools. that is to say, weigh up an instruction. And if it seems to make sense, then do it. Otherwise, regard it as guidance, which is shorthand for ignore it, isn't it? It's very arrogant, but it is very 21st century. But Paul says, even if you don't agree, even if you can't see why, obey. Because that obedience glorifies God and is for your good. So children, obey your parents for your good. And it might be that if you're a child here this morning, it would be good to go home and over lunch ask, how am I doing? I really do want to do this. I want to honour God. I want to honour you. How am I doing? An interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Well, children, obey your parents. But secondly, parents, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate your children, but train them in Christ. Children are to obey, which means we as parents are to exercise our authority, but we're not to be oppressive. It's not an oppressive authority. 
Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do not exasperate. Or, or in another translation, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, we need to think what that means. Not least because in the original context, a, a, a Roman father had many ways to exasperate their child. In fact, a, a Roman parent owned their child. They could do what they liked with them. They could sell them as a slave. They could punish them however they wished, including the death penalty. Now, no, I won't make a joke about that. Um, uh, God says, and I'm sure we'll agree, do not exasperate our children. That means do not treat them like that. Parental authority is not a license to do whatever we please. John Stott very helpfully says uh, these words, which I personally have found very convicting as I thought how I've related to my kids this week. He says this, Parents can easily misuse their authority, either by making irritating or unreasonable demands which make no allowance for the inexperience and immaturity of children, or by harshness and cruelty at one extreme, or by favoritism and overindulgence at the other, or by humiliating or suppressing them, or by those two vindictive weapons, sarcasm and ridicule. And as adults, some of us, uh, as children, perhaps were subjected to that. But Paul says that is not how we are to use our authority. And notice what is the opposite of exasperating our children. Do not exasperate them. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The opposite of of exasperating is to train. The word also means to discipline, to instruct, to follow Jesus Christ. And we need to see, although this applies both to, to both parents, it is addressed, first of all, to fathers. It is primarily the father's responsibility to ensure that children are trained and disciplined in Christ. Now, of course, we delegate this. It's not as if the father does all of this. Both parents will be involved in this in the home. And outside of the home, we we delegate this authority, don't we? We send our kids to schools or to church groups. But at the end of the day, the responsibility for bringing up our children, on judgment day, the question will be asked not to the school teacher or to the Sunday school teacher, but to the father and the mother. And yet, fathers, aren't we so often tempted to neglect this? I take it this means we are to be responsible for making sure there are boundaries within our homes, that there is an appropriate discipline. I take it means that we'll read the Bible with our children, we'll pray with them, perhaps we'll catechize them, teach them the faith. We'll take an interest in what they're learning in in school or or Sunday school. I think it's always lovely when parents ask the Sunday school teachers, what have you been teaching the kids? So you can then have a conversation with your child. And I take it that part of this is modelling godliness to our children. I take it that my attitude to the church, my attitude to other Christians, to um, the Lord Jesus, will be a huge impact on my kids. We must be parents who, do, who, who don't say, who, who say, do as I do, not don't do as I do, do what I say. We're not to be that kind of parent. But I take it that training our kids to be independent, to be, to be walking as wise followers of Jesus Christ is very, very hard. I take it that that's why Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us. And I thank God for many wonderful examples of godly parents here. Wasn't it lovely last week, as Pete and Chris uh, were interviewed, that Pete spoke of the many great marriages he'd seen that had modelled that to him. Well, I thank God for many parents who model that here. Let's help each other. If you're in a tricky patch, 
find someone who's a few years ahead and, and ask them, how did you get through it? What, what worked? Before I move on, I'll take it, it is worth saying, if we exercise our authority, as God calls us to do, there will be times when we're not popular. In the article I mentioned at the beginning, uh, there was a, another little example of a, a teenage girl who uh, went off to a, a party uh, at a university. And sadly, the girl was attacked at the party. And as a result, she ended up in the doctor's surgery with her mother. And her mother said over and over again, I, I knew I should never have let her go. I knew I should never have let her go there. I knew I should never have let her go. And the doctor thought in his head, well, why did you? And then he reflected on, on what he'd seen of that relationship. And his conclusion was, you let her go because you wanted to be her friend. You couldn't say no. And I take it there will be times, if we exercise our authority, that our, ch our children will think that we're too strict or, or will be frustrated with us. And that is not necessarily exasperating them. Of course, there are times we need to let them make mistakes and learn for themselves. But sometimes there are things we can see clearly and we need to say, no, there's a different way. And when we do, we use our God-given authority for the good of our children. And it's glorifying to God. So parents, use our authority, particularly fathers, let's use our authority to train our children in Christ. Let's not exasperate them. Well, we come to the relationship between slaves and masters. And it's just worth a word of background about slavery. Uh, and I should say this is slightly briefer than parents and children. Uh, but slavery in the Roman Empire uh, was widespread. It's estimated that something like 30 or 40% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So, but it is a different kind of slavery than the slavery you Im we imagine in, in a plantation. Everyone, it's not that everyone was manual laborers. There were many with great responsibility, doctors uh, and tutors who were slaves. And it was much easier to earn your freedom. Now, the, the Roman system was much more humane than, than what we imagine in, in plantations. But slaves still had very few rights. In fact, the, the owner totally owned them and could do whatever he liked with them. But we need to see uh, that the, the relationship between husbands and wives last week and parents and children are grounded in creation. There's something about the way God has made the world that, that tells us about these relationships. That is not the case for slavery. Slavery is something that was invented after the fall. Now, there are no slaves here, I don't think. Some people might feel like it, but there are no slaves here. But I think this applies to our relationship in work between employers and employees, between bosses and those in authority under them. And Paul says to those who are under a boss some very striking words. He says, serve your boss as if he or she were Jesus, and Jesus will reward you. Look at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. That is very strong, isn't it? Slaves are to obey their bosses just as if they were Jesus. See, with this sincerity of heart, verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Imagine that Jesus were to come to your place of work tomorrow, tomorrow whether that's an office or, or a school or, or a factory or, or the home, and he said to you, look, I'd love you to do this job for me. I'd love you to do some filing for me. Wouldn't we do it with great joy? 
we counted a great privilege to serve Jesus in that way. And if he said, look, I'm just going to nip out for a couple of hours, I'll be back later, would we not keep doing it? Because it's a privilege. Well, this, Paul says, is how we are to, to work when our boss asks us to do something. Some of you have bosses who, frankly, are bad. Well, that's exactly true in Ephesus. There would have been many masters who were cruel and unworthy of respect. And yet Paul says, when that boss asks you to do something, do it as if Jesus asked you. It gives a great dignity to our work, doesn't it? If you're a teacher, when you teach your pupils, it's as if you were teaching Jesus. Others of us, as we hammer nails to build a house, as somebody sweeps the floor, as somebody else makes food for children, somebody else answers emails, stacks shelves, serves customers, you are serving Jesus. So do it with all your heart. There was a servant girl who became a Christian under Charles Spurgeon's ministry at the end of the 19th century. And she wanted to be baptized, so she went to the elders of the church, and they interviewed her. And they asked her, how has Jesus changed your life? And she said this, I always work hard cleaning my master's house, but now I sweep under the rugs. And you see the point. The master never checked under the rugs, but I serve Jesus, and he sees under the rugs, and so now I sweep them. I serve wholeheartedly. And because we're serving Jesus... Do you see that Jesus himself will reward us? Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And friends, isn't this so important? We love, we live in a, in a terribly unjust world. Often people get promoted, are the ones who people please, aren't they? The ones who work when they're in the spotlight. And so often people pass the blame on for something they've done to somebody else. And I take it there'll be people here who have done the right thing and they've got into trouble for it. Or they've, they've, they've done really well and really they deserve the promotion and they've been missed out. And it's not fair and it's costly. But do you see Jesus knows and Jesus will reward? I couldn't help thinking of Joseph. Think of the end of Genesis. And Joseph... Joseph, the technical dream coat, that Joseph, working in Potiphar's house. And uh, he's such a good employee as he works for this Egyptian master that he eventually becomes the kind of estate manager. He's an exemplary worker. And yet one day his boss's wife takes a shine to him and she pleads with him to, to come and uh, lie with him, uh, lie with her. And he repeatedly refuses, no, I won't. And she grabs hold of him one day. And today we'd call it sexual harassment, wouldn't we? She grabs hold of him and he runs and he leaves his overcoat with her. Now, when her husband comes home, she turns the tables. She says, Joseph was harassing me and he's fired instantly. He's thrown into prison. Well, I wonder, as Joseph languished in prison, whether he thought, why didn't I just go with that woman? Why did I bother to do the right thing? And yet God saw... And God knew, and God rewarded. Joseph, of course, becoming the prime minister of Egypt, having ample reward in this lifetime and being the means to save many. Now, there's nothing here that promises will be rewarded in this life. But Jesus sees, and Jesus knows, and he will reward. So God says, serve your boss as if he or she were Jesus, and Jesus will reward you. 
It's radical teaching, isn't it? But Paul then turns to masters and bosses. And he says this, Know that you, too, are under the authority of God. Know that you, too, are under the authority of God, and so use your authority well. And if we're someone who has people who, uh, to whom, uh, who are accountable to us, then this is to you, too. Know that you, too, are under authority, and so use your authority well. Look at verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. This is hugely revolutionary. Masters would have expected unquestioning obedience. Slaves were their property. And yet Paul says, no, treat them in the same way. I take it that means treat them as you want them to treat you. Serve them. Certainly, verse nine, middle of verse 9, do not threaten them. And do you see why? Because God is their master too. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Though one is a slave and one is a master, though one has nothing and the other has everything, both are equal in God's sight. One seems very important, the other seems very lowly. No, both are equal in God's sight. They are both his children, both brothers and sisters, members of the one family of God that he is creating. The New Testament doesn't command the abolition of slavery, but do you see how this radically subverts it? Not slaves and masters, but brothers and sisters, first of all. And if you're a boss, or somebody with authority over others, treat those under you well. Serve them. Know that you will give an account to Jesus of how you treated them. The tragedy is that so many Christian bosses are useless. I know, know a number of uh, people who've been very excited to, to move to a new job. And part of that is because they're going to have Christian colleagues or they're going to have a Christian boss. And yet, wind on a few months, and so many people have said, that boss is a nightmare. I thought they were a Christian. Well, friends, we need to hear this truth. And again, if you're a boss, do you see, you do have authority. It is okay to ask people to do things. It is okay to pull people up when they go wrong and to challenge them. And I wonder if, paradoxically, in this age when we're not sure how to use authority, that we end up being harsh and prickly because we think, can I really say that? Well, yes, you can. No need to be harsh and prickly. You have authority, but exercise it well. God says use it, but do not abuse it because Jesus will judge and Jesus will reward you for what you do. Well, as we finish... We live in a time, don't we, that is deeply confused about authority. And yet the Bible paints this wonderful picture of what the good use of authority looks like. Fathers and parents leading families well for the good of the family and for the good of the kids. Kids who respect and honour their parents. Employees who, who joyfully give what they're paid to do. Employers who look after those under them. Well, I wonder if, as we've listened, we're convicted of some ways that we've not lived like this. Maybe we've had authority and we used it badly, or maybe we've been under authority and we've really bristled against it. Well, remember where we started. This is part of uh, God's command to his church, to people who are utterly free and forgiven. This is part of the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you're convicted of something this morning, come back to Jesus. Say to him, Jesus, do you know what? I've not done this well. Please forgive me. And he will. And then say, Jesus, please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit that I might submit to authorities I should, that I might lead, use my authority as I should. And God promises by his Holy Spirit to do that, to fill us. And that will be good for us and bring glory to him as well as being good for those around us.
Well, let's just take a moment and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you do give us clear instructions. Some of them are very countercultural. And yet, Father, we pray, help us to hear them. Help us to know that this is for our good. And Father, we ask, fill us afresh with your spirit that we might do this. We might lead and use our authority well and that we might submit where we're in uh, positions where we are to submit and to obey. And Father, we pray that that would be for our good as you promise it is and for your glory as the world sees your church in action. For Jesus' sake, amen.